Let us pray. Father, we thank you for a new day of life to celebrate the joy of the gospel that sets captives free. We thank you, Lord, each one of us who was once a captive and has been set free by the redeeming work of the cross of your son. And we pray, God, that through your word today that you would make that such a reality in this room that captives today would be set free. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning, Facebook. Always wonder if Mark Zuckerberg is watching the sermon. He, he needs it. <clears throat> That's my political comment for the day. <clears throat> they said that uh, a mask and gloves would be enough at the grocery store. They lied. Everyone else was wearing clothes. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to make fun of a, a virus, but we have to laugh sometimes at. In the midst of things, today is God at Sunday, as I said, it's a Sunday of joy, and the sermon uh, titled today is, He Comes to Set the Captives Free, because that is what Jesus came to do, is to set captives free. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 61 uh, to get a deeper understanding of what that means. Uh, this summer, my uh, my wife and I paid off debt, so we... we, we it was a, it was a sort of, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I didn't know I was going to get an applause for that. I wasn't looking for that, but I will take it. Um, we, we were, we were on a sort of a two year track of, uh, really being intentional, kind of f- following Dave Ramsey, uh, and, and all that. And it was a great joy. We moved some stuff around. We had a car that was only a few years old that had debt on it. We sold it and got some clunkers. Well, not clunkers, but older cars. And we said, we just got to get out. We had this goal. We got to get out. We got out of debt. And man, we celebrated. We went out to dinner. We rejoiced. And we might even done a little bit of a happy dance. And that, that's because um, we, we weren't meant to carry burdens, right? Debt is, debt, debt is a burden, right? Financial debt is a burden. It, 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 whether it's college debt or a vehicle or a house mortgage, it's a burden and it can make life extremely stressful. It can put strain on your relationships. It can create a sense of oppression uh, when, when, when it becomes overwhelming. But that's because God didn't create us to carry burdens. He created us to walk in freedom, and not just financial freedom, but spiritual freedom and physical freedom as well. And um, life has been, to say the least, heavy this year. And so let's turn our attention now to the God of the Bible who lifts heavy burdens and sets captives free. There was um, a time in the life of Israel when God instituted something. I don't know if anybody's been reading Leviticus lately. Anybody been reading Leviticus lately? Yeah, you all have. Um, but in, in Leviticus chapter 25, uh, we read about something called the Year of Jubilee. And this was a, uh, it was an economic institution that God gave the Israelites that dealt primarily with family and land. And uh, Jubilee, the name comes from the Yobel trumpet. So every 50 years, the Yobel trumpet would be sounded. And that meant that it was the year of Jubilee. Well, what in the world does that mean? That means that debts were forgiven. And if you had sold off property, it was returned to you. So here's why that's important in the life of an Israelite. Because if you are an ancient Israelite, 
you were divided into tribes. And then based on, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of uh, Isaac, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the sons of Jacob. And you were then divided smaller into clans. And then smaller than that, you had a family unit. And every family unit had a piece of property. You had a piece of land. And land was very significant to an ancient Israelite because God was constantly reminding them, the land belongs to me. I'm going to give you this land to go in and conquer it and take it. It's going to be a land of flourishing, a land of milk and honey, but it belongs to me. And so there was this sort of economic but also theological significance to the land because it was where you lived out your covenant relationship with God as an Israelite. It was deeply, deeply significant, the land. But what would happen is that people would fall on hard times and they would have to sell some of their land. Some people had to sell themselves into a sort of indentured uh, uh, service into the homes of other people because they had fallen on such hard times. Either their crops weren't going well or, or whatever it was. And they had to do that. And the Lord knew that that would be a, an oppressive reality. Having that debt or having to sell off your land, which was so meaningful to your family and your life with God. And so God instituted the year of Jubilee. So every 50 years, you got free of your debt and you got all your land back. Just like that. At the sound of a trumpet. Literally. You see, we, God has a heart for people and doesn't want them to live under heavy, oppressive burdens. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 61 because Isaiah chapter 61 is about the year of the Lord's favor. It is a reference to the Jubilee year, but it takes on new significance. And here's how. The Jubilee, it was a simple picture and a foreshadowing of grace you didn't earn it you didn't do anything to deserve it god made it an institution so that your debts would be forgiven and you would be completely set free just like the gospel we don't earn it we don't deserve it we don't merit it it's a picture of the grace that comes through the cross of jesus christ and so it's a foreshadowing and a looking forward to as everything else in the bible is to the messiah the anointed one jesus of nazareth who would come and fulfill all of these things did you know that every bible story is ultimately about jesus even in the old testament it's amazing how this thread through scripture works so in isaiah chapter 61 now we're the prophet isaiah is writing about 600 years before jesus walked the earth okay so quite a long time before jesus walked uh the earth and through the, the chapters leading up to chapter 61, he keeps mentioning this kind of mysterious servant figure who will suffer on behalf of God's people. It says that their iniquities will be laid upon him. He will be wounded for their transgressions. And he keeps making mention of this figure. And now, and of course, he's pointing forward prophetically to the Messiah, the king who would come and bear the sins of his people. But in Isaiah chapter 61, we get another kind of prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus of Nazareth. So he says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Now, this is as if the Messiah were proclaiming these words through Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. Everybody say anointed, anointed Messiah, Mashiach means anointed one. Okay. Christ, 
It's the Greek transliteration of that means the anointed one, the Messiah. The Lord has anointed me. So it's a reference to Messiah. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, reads from this passage in the synagogue. He reads from Isaiah chapter 61 and 58. He pulls them together. And he says this, 600 years after this writing. He walks into the synagogue. The people are gathered just like we are here today. He pulls out the roll of Isaiah. He reads, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to open blind eyes, to heal the brokenhearted. And he puts the scroll down and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It says the eyes of all were fixed on him in amazement. So what did he come to do? He says to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, this isn't just to the financially poor. This isn't just a reference to those who have run out of money, who are living in poverty. This is more of a a broad definition of poor, as in when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It is people who are impoverished because of their knowledge of their own sin and separation from God. Now, remember, when Isaiah is writing this passage, he's writing to exiles. The ancient Israelites are living in exile in Babylon because of their sin, because of their their unwillingness to be faithful to God, turning to uh, other gods, making idols for themselves, doing everything that God told them not to do, and they've been separated from him because of their sin. And they're grieving. They're mourning. They know they're under God's God's punishment, that he's allowed the consequences of their sin to really affect their lives. And they're mourning and they're grieving. So this is a, this is, this is now good news coming to the poor, to the poor in spirit. The angels are among us, the technological angels. One, one Bible commentator says this. I love, I love, love, love how he describes this. He says, who are the poor? Those who are so broken by life that they have no more heart to try. Those who are so bound up in their various addictions that liberty and release are a cruel mirage. Those who think that they will never again experience the favor of the Lord or see his just vengeance meted out against those who have misused them. Those who think that their lives hold nothing more than ashes, sackcloth, and the fainting heaviness of despair. These are they to whom the servant Messiah shouts, good news, good news. You see, when Messiah comes, it would be an age of jubilee. Not only a year of jubilee, it would be an age of jubilee. That's what this is a prophetic picture of, that when the Messiah comes, there's going to be a great trumpet blast, so to speak, and people are going to begin to be set free from their debt, from oppression, from sin being the biggest debt. And just as the Israelites in captivity were removed from the presence of God and exiled from the land, People in our own day are exiled from the presence of God because of their sin. And this is why the Messiah comes. This is why the anointed one comes, because people will begin to be set free from debt. The gospel is good news. It's not good advice. You see, it's that Jesus Christ did something on our behalf on the cross. It is finished. You can put your faith in him or try to deal with your sin on your own. Don't do it. He's already accomplished it. 
Don't reject the gift of the Messiah. You see, this sin debt, it's a debt that everyone carries. The Bible tells us we've all fallen short. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And the result is that we're exiled from his presence. You know that separation from your heavenly father is the greatest burden that you could carry. It's why people in the world are so burdened. Have you looked around at the grocery store lately, at the mall, and seen how depressed people look, how sad people are? People look like they're going to a funeral all the time. They're not saying that's everybody, but I I can feel the heaviness on people. And so much of that, at the core of that, is that people are separated from a heavenly Father who loves them and wants to do something about it. So much so that he sent his eternal son to take human flesh, to walk among them, and to pay the atoning price for their sins. It's good news. It's good news to the hopeless and the desperate and the addicted and the broken and the wounded. You see, our culture is it's permeated with a sense of isolation and estrangement. And these little things have made it worse, right? People are just lost in so many ways, trying to find connectedness, trying to find life and everything that doesn't uh, provide it. See, my own... My own life, I'm a living testimony of this for, for, for 10 years of my life until I was 20, from a teenager to 25 years old. I was wandering around in this dark world trying to find some meaning, trying to find some transcendence. I'd rejected the Christian faith of my parents as hogwash, as rules and regulations. I didn't understand that I could have a relationship with Jesus Christ and have joy and freedom. So I went running to all the things of this world. Party, party, party. Party, party, party. I was, but I was, I was so hungry spiritually. And so I was looking for spiritual answers. Not just trying to indulge in sin, but looking for spiritual answers, doing yoga classes every week, diving into every new age spirituality book I get my hands on, trying to find peace, peace, peace. But there was deep inside, no peace. Emptiness. Trying to fill a void. Trying to fill a void. And the voice and the person of Jesus, the seeds had been planted, you see, haunted me, fled me. I fled him down the nights and days, as the poet said. And yet he pursued me and pursued me until I could flee no further. And I fell and said, mercy, because I knew that the deepest problem in me was not that I wasn't enlightened, that not that I wasn't spiritual enough, is that my sins needed to be forgiven and cleansed. And the Lord came in to my life to heal my broken heart, to forgive my sin, to set me free. I was a captive. I thought I was free. I'm free spirit. I do whatever I want. Go to whatever festival I want. Party with whoever I want. Drink whatever I want. Eat whatever I want. I thought I was free. And yet haunted by that void, something is missing. See, people today in our culture, you see it everywhere, looking for answers in illicit relationships, psychedelic experiences, vacations, stuff, things, things, things. It's what the psychologists call the hedonism treadmill. Because you just keep running on it and getting nowhere. And Jesus came that we might be full of life. A new quality of life. Eternal life. Living in the presence of our Father. It's what we were made for. For the meaning and the acceptance and the security that can only come from the very presence of God. The God of heaven and earth. A personal God. 
He's a person who wants to walk with us in a personal relationship. But you see, Jesus comes and here's how he sets people free. Because at the root of all of the bondage, all of the going after the things of the world and, and trying to be a spiritual person, all that stuff I was doing and, and, and filling up with a partying and drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, it was just those were just symptoms of a deeper problem, which was my bondage to the power of sin. Sin is not just misdeeds. It's a power that holds people captive, that leads to misdeeds, that leads to things that grieve God. And God has such a heart for people who are stuck in that and in bondage to that, that he sent his son as the agent of liberty who opens prison's doors and sets the captives free. I feel like singing, I got a river of life flowing out of me. You see, the good news of the gospel is that someone came to pay our debt. Your sin debt, my sin debt, it's too big to pay on your own. We can never pay it on our own. And the good news of the gospel that should fill your heart with joy is that someone already came and paid your debt. What would you do if you went online onto your your, your mortgage on your house to look at how much you owed and it said zero dollars all of a sudden? Would you rejoice? You'd do a happy dance. Jesus came to set us free, to set captives free. Isaiah said that all we like sheep have gone away. And 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. There's this great passage in Colossians, tucked away in Colossians chapter 2, and it tells us that Jesus on the cross He says, canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, having nailed it to the cross. He took your debt, all of your sin, everything you've ever done, from a bad attitude towards someone else, to your pride, to your deception, to your lying, to your sexual sin, to everything. And he took it and he nailed it to the cross. And he said, Jubilee year. (laughs) Amen. That's good news. That's good news. And so we run to him and we put our trust in him. That's it. You don't say, oh God, help me clean up my life so that I can please you. You run to him and you put your trust in him and his spirit comes to live in you and he'll change you forevermore. He'll fill you with joy and freedom. Freedom. You see, Jesus releases people from from sin. That's the ultimate debt that keeps people in bondage, the power of sin. But out of that comes healing and release from other things, from addictions, from sickness, from demonic power. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says, You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit in power to heal those who were sick and in bondage to the power of the devil. Jesus came healing, setting free, casting out demons, raising the dead, giving a picture of who God is. He's the one who makes all things new. He forgives debts. He sets captives free. I recently learned of a woman named Jackie Pullinger. She's actually the founder of the St. Stephen's Society. Is anybody familiar in the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion with the St. Stephen's Society? Um, she, she was a missionary from the Church of England in the 1960s. She went to Hong Kong. She had nothing but $10 in her pocket, knew that God sent her there. She went there, and she began to be a minister to opium and heroin addicts on the street. 
and she would get down with them. There's video footage of her. She'd get down with them and she'd pray and she'd put their hand on their chest and she'd pray that Jesus would come into their life and they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit and they'd begin to speak in new tongues that they did not know. This is a biblical gift and as they were praying through it, as she's ministering to them, their addictions to heroin would be broken by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. Look it up. Jackie Pullinger. Amazing. You see, the gospel is truly at work when captives are getting set free. I'll try this side. The gospel is truly at work when the captives are set free. <laughs> the gospel is it's life-changing. It changes people. When we come and gather in the name of the, of the Messiah, our lives should be changed. Even our little bondages that we still carry today, that little bad attitude that you have against someone today that you brought in with you today, that little bit of bitterness that you've been kind of petting like a little mini chihuahua in your lap that you think it's okay to hold on to. Jesus says, let it go. I came to break the power of that over your life. Beware, Paul says, lest the devil get a foothold in your life. That's all he needs is a little grab on the back of your pants to keep you held in bondage and you've got to break it off. And say, Jesus paid for my sin and he paid for the sin of the person who offended me. I don't know where this must be coming from the Holy Spirit. There must be some people in here who are carrying offense today. A Christian cannot carry offense. Because when you carry offense, you forgot how much you have offended God and been forgiven of all of it. He'll set you free from the offense. And the, re, and the results are joy. Listen, look back at Isaiah chapter 61. So he's speaking to the people of Israel about the Messiah who had come. He says, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the Jubilee language, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. You see, God would deal justly with their enemies that had oppressed them to comfort all who mourn. Who of us wants to be comforted at the end of 2020? Do we need a little comfort in the room? I know that I do. It's been a hard year, the hardest year of probably most of our lives. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. When's the last time you went into the prayer closet and said, Lord, I need the oil of joy. I need to laugh. I need to smile in your presence. He longs to give it to us. He longs to give it to us. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. But you see, here's how it happens. And Isaiah still points forward to the cross. Fast forward in the passage towards the end. Remember what I've been saying about at the, at the core of all bondage is the power of sin. And it needed to be dealt with. Check, uh, verse 10, he says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Now this is like Isaiah kind of speaking more first person. And he says, he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. That debt that we couldn't pay, it was like a stained garment. And Jesus came and gave his life on the cross and he took the stained garment from you and he said, here, take mine. And he wrapped a pure, glowing, white robe around you. 
You know that scene in the, in the Gospels, the Transfiguration, and it says Jesus began to glow and his clothes were like, they didn't know how to describe it, so they were like, they were like more white than bleached clothing and he was like glowing with the glow of heaven. If you could have the veil pulled back and you could really see everything, that's what you look like in the heavenly realms because of the blood of Jesus. The spirit of glory dwells on you and in you, Christian. But it's because of the costly work of bearing the horrors of sin and the power of sin on the cross that we are able to be set free. So let us never forget that we are a people who proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to be a church where captives are set free. I don't want to do church unless lives are being changed. Captives are being set free. We went um, in our class this morning on a little bit of Good Shepherd history and, and, and talked about some of the, the foundations of Good Shepherd and two, two prominent figures being Bishop Whipple, who founded the original chapel, and uh, Father Al Durrance in the 1960s. The reason that this, let me just tell you a snippet of the story, and I'm going to close with The reason this building stands here today, there's a man named uh, Father Al Durrance who came, and he was the vicar over at the chapel, and that's all that there was here in 1963. And the Lord had laid in his heart a burden for the healing ministry to see the sick healed. And he came here, and he began healing services, and people began to get healed. Would you imagine that? He said I, he, his first job, he had an organist come to him and say, I have ovarian cancer. I've been told I have three to six months live. What should I do? He said, come in. Let's study and pray healing together. And then I'll anoint you and we'll have communion. And within three months, one of the tumors was gone. The other one had not grown. Within six months, all of her cancer was gone. And he said, there's something to this stuff. And so he started the healing ministry here. And people started to come. People started filling up the pews. And his other passion, by the way, was he was frustrated of people coming to him and saying, I think I'm like afflicted by like a spirit and my, my pastor's telling me he can't do anything about it or my psychiatrist doesn't know what to do. And so he started providing deliverance ministry and exorcism for people who are tormented by evil spirits. Healing and deliverance. What we see all through the Gospels and through the book of Acts and the early church, these were foundational to the growth of Good Shepherd. Father Al said, we had so many people, we had to build a church because the old one would not hold them. And they built this. And they had to bring chairs out into the aisles. Who was here as a youngin who saw that? Because the power of the Holy Spirit was working, flowing. It was all, and it was all about the love of Abba Father encountered in the face of Jesus Christ. And captives were being set free. It's in our history. It's in our DNA, you could, be, you could say. So let's be a place where captives get set free. Yeah? When people enter the church, it should be like entering into a year of jubilee. There should be things that break off them. Bondages. Right? Just in the worship. Do you know that bondages can be broken in worship when you get lost in the presence of the Lord? Because the evil one who has that power of your life can't stand the presence of the Lord and the, God just gives you freedom? Really think about that as we worship today. There's freedom where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Friends, if we, if we keep the cross at the center of what we do, we'll see captives set free. Because it's about the cross. That's where people are set free. Their sins are forgiven, paid for. It tells us in Isaiah that he bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. And by his stripes we are healed. So there's healing in all of it as well. 
And by the way, we'll be figuring out the mechanics of starting healing services again in January, probably once a month on Sunday evenings. We're working that out, uh, how that's going to work given COVID and everything. But let's do it. Let's see captives get set free. Um, and it will be a place of joy. Maybe we'll even do a little happy dance. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. Father, fill us with joy today in our worship. Lord, help us to see beyond the, the veil of this mortal life that keeps us distracted, Lord, and unable, blind to the reality of who we are, the freedom that we have access to in you. Father, I come to you right now in Jesus' name, and I ask for anybody in this room today who's struggling with addiction or sickness or the bondage to bitterness and unforgiveness, and I pray, Father, that it would be healed by the time they leave this service today. I pray that you, Jesus, would walk among the pews, among the people, because you're the healer, Lord. Not me, not anyone else, Lord. You're the one who sets free. So we just invite you, Lord Jesus, just to begin to move amidst your people today in the worship, that you would just reveal things to people that they didn't even know that, that, that were true. Lord, that you would just open up heaven over us today. Would that you rend the heavens, as Isaiah says, and speak to your people, Lord. Move in our midst today. Lord, we love you. We want to honor you in this church, and we want to have your heart, Father, for the world. We want to have your heart for captives, to see people who don't know you, who don't have a personal relationship, come to know you and to be completely set free, cleansed, purified, and filled with your joy. Lord, we love you and ask now that our worship would bring you glory. Let it be worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.